Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment. Weekly concert listings. Weekly event listings. The environment. Travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader. Free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Ben Jarowski here. I've been talking about this series for a long, long time. And talking about this, I wrote about it in the reader. I put it in my reader newsletter, a Ben Jarowski podcast show series. And we uh, spare no expenses. We have a great soundtrack that opens it. So here it goes. Ben Jarowski show podcast series with Steve James. How about that? The great Steve James, uh, director of City So Re. You like that opening, Steve? That was excellent. Yeah. 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 You need any uh, sound production uh, assistance in your next movie? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think it's you get what you pay for. <laughs> oh, he's a funny guy, that Steve James. Uh, everybody knows I'm utterly obsessed with your movie, Steve. I, I wrote one article about it in The Reader. Uh, I've written a newsletter about it. Uh, for the reader, I've talked about it. I've dedicated myself to re- doing at least four, probably five shows uh, about it. I think it's a very important movie about Chicago, the city uh, itself, and the characters who live here, and of course about the politics. Uh, so, city so real. Why don't you just start off, Steve, by just giving folks a little uh, synopsis of what the movie's about and where they uh, can see it. Uh, so City Surreal uh, is a five-part docu-series, what they call docu-series, um, which we filmed primarily during the uh, wild and crazy mayoral election of 2018-2019, as well as the Laquan McDonald murder trial. Um, and so those are, the, those are the kind of big picture stories that we follow throughout the series. But it's more than that. It's a, it's also a portrait of the city and the people that live here, and the people we encountered along the way. Um, so it, 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 we aim to make it a kind of mosaic portrait of, of this great metropolis uh, centered around that election and that trial. And, and we bring it up to date. We bring it up to date. Episode five, which was a a, a later edition. Uh, we we filmed this year um, and around the pandemic and the George Floyd upheaval. So yeah. it, it's right up to date, just about. And, uh, and Steve's not going to want to hear what I say next, but this I'll say this. Uh, there are those out there who go, Ben, five-part series. I can't deal with that. I can't. I personally think you should watch the entire series from start to finish. But if you're just going to watch one part, start with epi- uh, the, the epilogue. And I think you'll be hooked. And then you'll go back and start it from the top. But that's my uh, take on that, Steve James. Well, my my take is a little different. <laughs> I'm not surprised. <laughs> Which is watch episode one, and if you don't, if you're if it's not your thing, then go on about your day. 
Um, but if you watch episode one, I feel like you're going to watch episode two and then you're going to watch episode three and you're going to be in because it's, you know, it's entertaining. It's uh, this isn't this isn't, uh, you know, uh, like eat your asparagus, let's say. Uh, it, it's. <laughs> I love asparagus. I do too. It's it, it, but it's entertaining as well as I think thought provoking. All right, my, uh, my humble uh, opinion. Uh, it, most people, if they know Steve James, they know him from Hoop Dreams, uh, which is um, my favorite Steve James movie. I will get into uh, his favorite Steve James movies uh, at the end of this thing. I'm not going to let him duck and dodge on that one. Uh, Steve's been uh, doing documentaries, making movies since the 80s, so he's almost as old as I am. Uh, but you've never done a, a political documentary that I can think of in terms of a documentary that deals directly with the electoral system, politics. Uh, in this one, you decided you were going to follow a political campaign, the Chicago mayoral campaign. You've never written about politics in the past. You haven't covered Chicago politics in the past. Uh, what in the world led you uh, to decide to do something so daunting? I think I tried to discourage you, as I recall, at the outset. I, I think you did. I, uh, I don't, it's a good question. I mean, I, you know, I, I, you have, you know, I'm going to blow some smoke up your, you know what, but it's like <laughs> you, you have forgotten way more politics about Chicago than I ever have known. And, and it's still true. So um, I probably should let you do the, this film, but, um, but I, but I, you know, I think I've just, I've been fascinated with the city and the way it works politically over the years. And just, I've always wanted to just do for a long time. I wanted to do a kind of portrait of the city uh, itself. And, and I realized that, uh, I think wisely that, that if you're going to do that, you want to, you want to hook it to some, some significant moment for the city too, so that it's not just you're wandering around the city, although you could do that and, and have plenty of fun. Um, and so when this mayoral election came along and I knew it was going to coincide with the trial, this, this important trial, I thought, well, I think the moment's arrived that Chicago finds itself at this serious crossroads. This would be the moment to do this this portrait of the city that gets its arm around politics as well. Now, just to take everybody back in time, because it's easy to forget where we were uh, in 2018 when Steve embarked on this. Uh, at the time, the mayor of the city of Chicago was Rahm Emanuel, who was a pretty powerful uh, force in Chicago politics. And the uh Pretty much everybody assumed he was going to run for re-election. I think you had already started planning this movie uh, when Rom was still very much running for re-election. Is my memory correct on that, Steve? Yes, we were. Well, we were actually shooting before he dropped out. Um, we 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 embarked on it while he was still a candidate, and I remember <laughs> I had uh, I had some contact with David Axelrod. Um, over something that I was doing and I, we were trying to get Rom to, you know, like, and there was people to uh, answer our emails and, <laughs> to, you know, like, cause if you're, you know, we want to film with you. Right. Um, and I couldn't, you know, I didn't get anything back. I kept trying, trying, you know, so I had this situation where I ran into Axelrod and I, and I was like, I said, can, can you, can you reach out to Rom for me? And he goes, yeah, I could, I could do that. And I, and I go, cause we're trying to get him to be in our film about running for mayor. He goes, well, if he runs for mayor and I thought he was just being David Axelrod, right? Because at that point, Rom had raised $10 million 
reportedly. And I said, what do you mean if he runs? He's raised $10 million. He goes, you don't understand. Rom raises money like that just in his spare time. <laughs> <laughs> he can't help himself. That's what he said. So, so he, and you know, it's funny because in retrospect, that was before he had dropped out. I think Axelrod knew that he, you know, he, he said he reached out to him on our behalf and all that. It didn't do a bit of good. Yeah. Um, and then suddenly Rom was out. And, um, uh, so I've often thought about this. What would the movie have been like to you had Rom been in the race? I obviously it would have been a completely different movie. Yeah. How would you have structured it? Well, I, I mean, I don't know that it would have been different in terms of how we approached it. I think what, what the results would have been different, right? I mean, I think we would have approached it like we're going to follow candidates, a handful of ones that A, are, are willing to let us in and B, that just interest us because we didn't we didn't just pick candidates that we thought could win. We picked candidates that we thought were interesting. Um, and we certainly would have continued to pursue Rom. And, and and my guess is, is that maybe we'd had a little bit of luck with him, but probably not much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I suspect that if he if he had stayed in it, he would have been, you know, the great and powerful Oz character of the film that that we never really get to get close to. But but, you know, he is the focus of all the attention and energy and and uh, and, you know, campaigning. Uh, and that would have been that would have worked for me because, you know, like, as you know, um, we didn't get access to Tony Preckwinkle in this uh, film. Um, we tried, but she thought, you know, I think she thought she was going to be mayor and she thought, why would I, you know, her people thought, why would they let a film crew in? Um, we might get something embarrassing. Well, she's in our film anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we showed up at events. We got her. We just didn't get in the back room with her. And I, and I feel like it is still a portrait of Tony Preckwinkle, even though we didn't get that access. And I think the same might have been true for Rom. I actually think it's a very effective portrait of Tony Preckwinkle, uh, in my humble opinion. Uh, the one, even even though she didn't give you uh, the back room scenes. Uh, you, you mentioned something, candidates willing to let you in. And obviously it's a decision they have uh, to make. Uh, so what's the pitch? How did you pitch yourself to them? You know, what was it? What, what was the, the lines or the uh, that you used to try to convince them to allow you that access? Well, it was interesting, you know, with with people like Amara Enya, we met her literally the first day of the trial for Laquan, you know, for Jason Van Dyke. Um, we knew about her we had, and we were interested in approaching her, but we, we just sort of seized the opportunity because she was out there to introduce ourselves and we, we first filmed her there. And, um, and, and, you know, the pitch was in the same pitch was to Lori Lightfoot very early on, although it took a while to get, get through her people. Um, but the same, the pitch was the same, which was, you know, we're doing a film that's a portrait of Chicago, but it's going to be centered around this mayoral election, but that's not all this is about at all. You know, that this is going to be a portrait of the city and, you know, People like Amara and Lori and Neil Salas Griffin and even Paul Vallis, they they liked that idea. You know, they liked the idea that it was that, that it was going to be about the mayoral election, but they also warmed to the idea of it being something more than that. And we were also really clear with them, like, 
we're not looking to fully embed with you day in and day out at all. There's too many candidates. That's not what this film is. So we try to give them a little bit of comfort that, that, you know, saying yes to us wasn't like us showing up every day at their campaign office. God, that would be so boring. I know. Uh, I mean, that, that is not the kind of political film I wanted to do anyway. I mean, I've seen some really good political docs that are insider in that way. Yeah. Um, I've enjoyed them, but I had no, de- I had no desire to make that film. Yeah. A fly in the wall type film. Uh, did you ever get uh, any, uh, I don't want you to name names necessarily, but any campaigns that try to really openly manipulate you? Like tell you, hey, look, Steve, you know, if you play the game right, I get you in, blah, blah, blah. This is that. You, you know, ever try to like play you in a certain way to get what they want out of you? No, because there was nothing to get out of us. Um, you know, I mean, the, 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 the hurdle for us was you let us in. We're not going to help you get elected because this film's not going to come out until well after this is all decided. So, so there wasn't, you know, that, that it was always interesting with, especially with certain candidates like the, the perceived front runners when they would, when, when we first approached them and I had this nice, big, impressive camera, um, they would be very, you know, welcoming and their press people would be like, Hey, how are you? You know? Uh, and then they, you know, they thought maybe we were, you know, an, I don't know who they thought we were, but they, they thought maybe we were more the everyday media and that if they did something for us, it would, it would help. Once they found out what we were about, the, the front runners were like, uh, you know, no, thank you basically <laughs> because there was nothing to be gained in their view from us. Now the candidates that got into it, got into it because I think they were, they were not front runners. Although Paul Vallis thought he was a front runner. Um, when I first met him, I mean, he really believed that it was going to come down to him and Tony Preckwinkle or Susanna Mendoza. Um, and, and, but I think they got into it because they just kind of liked the idea of what we were doing. And, and, it, you know, it didn't hurt that I could say I'd done hoop dreams, you know what I mean? And, and a couple other films, um, so that if they knew my work at all, then they thought, oh, well, this is a, a for real thing, you know? Well, uh, that you you are effectively uh, when it comes to politics a blank slate, as I said, because you've never done a, a overtly political movie uh, before. I could argue the Interrupters is a political movie, but anyway, uh, definitely not about electoral politics. Um, did did you have a sense that they thought you had an agenda? You know, when you were talking to them, right. that like, what's this guy really up to? You know, yeah, yeah, no, that's a really good question. I. You know, I think that um, we kind of avoided that kind. Of, I mean, I think I think Lori Lightfoot's people, press person uh, in particular, was skeptical, and she she kind of did her best to prevent us from getting access to Lori after Lori finally agreed to one day of filming, and we did it, and went really well. And then she thought, okay, I've done that. I don't have to do that anymore. So I, I, you know, and what I found out later is one of the concerns they had about Lori being in this was that they worried that she would cuss a lot, you know, which she did, which she did. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, and they did, they didn't think that would be very becoming of her as a candidate. 
Well, you know, obviously now that she's been mayor, we all know that she's, you know, she talks like a sailor. So, so, you know, I think there were some concerns about that and just the fact that we were just buzzing flies that just would get in the way of everything. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, it, it, it was, um, you know, and then, and then they tried to throw me the, the daily people who I approached very seriously to try to get daily to let us into the film. I met with one of his people who, who, you know, claimed to like the idea himself mm-hmm. of this film. Um, <clears throat> he said, I, you know, I've presented it to rich and bill, I mean, bill. <laughs> and, he says, and he goes, you know, here's the thing. Bill's not, he's just not so great with people. <laughs> And I was like, well, that's okay. I mean, you know, you know but, but I was thinking myself, he's like, you know, he's just, he gets kind of tense around people. And I was like, okay. Um, so I, when I showed up at that, that um, press conference uh, where Gore endorses him, yeah. when, when Zach Piper, my producing partner and I showed up to shoot that, his his media person at first couldn't figure out who we were because she thought we were just one of the regular media folks, and then she figured it out, and she tried to kick us out. And I and I said it's a press conference, and we had press we had legit press credentials for this. And she's like, "Yeah, but it's not for documentaries." And I go, "It doesn't matter. It's a press conference." <laughs> she, she goes, "I have to leave. I'm going to have to have security escort you out." And I said, "Well, if they want to escort me out." that's fine. I'm going to film the entire thing. And so then one of his people came over and said, ah, no, no, let him stay. Let him stay. Which was kind of a drag in a way. I mean, it's a good scene, but it's kind of a drag. I was kind of open to, no, I would have much preferred getting kicked out by Bill Daly. Yeah. Oh boy. Hearing that anecdote, the anecdote really makes me regret Bill Daly not winning the election. (laughs) What a joyful mayor that would be. Uh, I, I absolutely know the the gentleman that you were dealing with. He's a good friend of the show. He comes on all the time. But since you left yeah. his name out, I won't mention it. Uh, in fact, he's going to be on my show uh, at the hideout in about a week. So I could just imagine that conversation. He's a smooth operator. Um, I asked you, did they think you had an angle? Uh, so the follow-up question on my part really should be, did you have an angle? No, I, I don't think I did. I mean, I think my angle was, if it's an, if you can call it an angle was, I just, I thought it was, you know, fascinating that there were so many people that thought they could be the mayor of Chicago and that they represent such different backgrounds uh, coming to this election and thinking, yeah, I should be mayor, you know, and from, from someone who's like 23 years old, Jamal Green, you know, mm-hmm. on up to daily, um, who, when was the last time he actually lived here? I don't know, but, um, you know, so it, it just was, I, I was fascinated by that. I thought that this, this group of candidates was kind of like this wild cross section of Chicago in a weird sort of way, not, you know, not completely, but, but to a remarkable degree. And I just thought, what a free for all this must be, uh, you know, to have all these people believe. And I also, the other angle I would say is, there were a number of people in the race who really had serious access to grind with Rom. And this was before Rom dropped out. And I thought that would be fascinating. You know, McCarthy, um, uh, we, at first we were following, um, Oh God. Um, 
Troy, Troy LaRavier. Troy LaRavier, who was great. Um, and he didn't end up in the final film because he dropped out, you know, fairly early on. But there were all these people who had real issues with Daly. And I thought that'll be fascinating, you know, to sort of see people playing that out. Yeah. Histories with Rom. Um, and uh, so I'm thinking about this, Steve. You have this enormous task. You're not only chronicling 14 candidates running for mayor, at least giving each of them their little moment, if nothing else. Uh, but you're also chronicling the city at that time and putting it as the backdrop so that we can understand like the context in which this race is playing out. Did you ever get overwhelmed during this process? You're running around collecting all these scenes. Do you ever have a moment like you're like, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do with this thing. I don't know why I didn't listen to Ben Jarofsky and just not do this. In the, I don't know why I didn't just do another basketball documentary like Ben suggested. Did you ever have a moment like that? Well, no, that's a great question. Uh, I hate telling you when you have a great question. <laughs> it's painful to say it, but, but I guess I, I acknowledge it. Everyone Concessions must be made. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, you know, there was a time particularly early in the process earlier in the pro early in the process where it was overwhelming it was like how are we going to possibly do this and where what do we shoot and what do we not shoot because we didn't do this this wasn't some big netflix funded you know expensive documentary where we had like you know five crews in the field each day and, and, I, and I was at command central and, <laughs> and you know sending yeah. people out or any of that this was like you know this was me and zach Piper, who is my producing partner, who also is the best documentary sound guy, verite sound guy in the city, in my view. Um, and my son, Jackson, who contributed mightily creatively to this. And Jackson often went out on his own uh, because the couple of times I went out with Jackson, um, he was it was I could tell he preferred that I wouldn't be there. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of like, Dad, let me, <laughs> let me, let me do it. Okay. Wait, was it like one of those things where he's ashamed of his father? Or are you? No, no, not ashamed. <laughs> he wasn't. He wasn't used to having someone in his ear talking to him about ah. stuff, you know. And and he's worked with me before, but never in the in in quite this this way in a verite scene situation. So it was fine. He he got it. He was doing great stuff. So I just let him go. But it was kind of like, you know, and there were a few other people that, that participated in significant ways in this, for sure, and shooting and, and field producing. But it was a very small undertaking from a crew standpoint. So it was overwhelming early on because it was just like, what the hell should we film and what shouldn't we film? You know, it just seemed. But we we kind of just went with it and we felt our way into it. And, and the more we got into it, the more we kind of, embrace this idea and i think it's i hope it's preserved in the way we've edited it together with my very talented co-editor david simpson is that it's kind of a seat of the pants kind of film where it's sort of like okay we we just go where we go and whatever we get is what we get and whoever we meet is who we meet and we're going to introduce you to some people that you didn't expect to meet and you know, that's just what this is. You know, any you, another filmmaker could have gone out with the same mission. Another five filmmakers could have gone out with the same mission 
filming Chicago at the same time and come back with five very different films than what we did. I totally get that. And we just had to embrace the fact that we were going to get what we get, and that's all we could get. <laughs> uh, as I said uh, already, if you haven't seen the movie, uh, much of it, f- it follows the uh, mayoral election, but we meet along the way uh, a whole s- crew of Chicago characters who are not directly related to any of the campaigns, and their stories are told as well. Uh, and uh, so how did you find the subjects, like those the barbers and the the fans at the football games and yeah. just all the, the the people singing in the Mexican restaurant. I mean, yeah. how did you find all these, this incredible cast of characters that are in the movie? Well, again, we, you know, we, we it was organic to some extent. So for instance, with the uh, black barber shop in episode one, um, you know, and it's featured in the first episode when Haritha Augustus, the black barber from that South Shore uh, barbershop, was killed in an altercation with police. Um, it was a kind of a big deal for about, you know, a week, week and a half. And there were people that thought it was going to be like Laquan McDonald and it didn't. But but there was there was some real anger down there. So we documented that vigil that got you know, argumentative, you could say, between cops and protesters. And and after that, I thought, you know, it'd be great to go back to the barbershop where he worked and just find out who this guy was, because that was kind of lost in all of this. You know, he was just kind of a symbol of police, you know, violence and like, well, who is this guy, actually? And so that was what prompted us to go to that barbershop. And then. But what happened was far more interesting than that, when that postal worker walks in and they get Mm -hmm. into this intense discussion and then that scene inspired us to want to go find a white barbershop because you know i mean you know this obviously ben it's like black barbershops are kind of these iconic places right in our culture and in that culture um and it's like i was like what what do white guys talk about barbershops? <laughs> what, what do they do you know what are, and what are, what do are older white guys who would go to barbershops talk about and so we found through one of our field producers Joe's Barbershop in Bridgeport. I didn't know that place, but we, and I didn't know that it was frequented by a lot of ex-cops. It wasn't a surprise when it came out, but it, I didn't know that when we started shooting. I didn't, I didn't know who these guys were. And so, you know, it was a lot of that kind of serendipitous thing. Um, the the shoeshine guy, Maine, yeah. he had a shop at the Board of Elections on the bottom floor. We passed him by all the day time, and he at one point he flagged us down and said, "Hey guys, what are you guys doing?" You know, and that led us to film him one day. Um, Daly's Restaurant at 63rd and Cottage Grove, which is you know this iconic old Chicago restaurant. Um, we knew we wanted to go there, but when we found out that you know somehow, but when we found out that Vallis Campaign was going to go there one day, we said, "Ah, perfect, let's go yeah. with Vallis Campaign." Uh, and of course, the hideout. Get a little shout out to my good pal, the Tuttons, yes. Timmy Tutton and Katie well, you Tutton. Can't, you can't do you can't do a film about Chicago and not have the hideout somehow in there, um, or Ben Jurafsky. Let's just God be bless a- you. Yeah, I was going to mention that's my favorite part of the movie. Uh, <laughs> a little disappointed that a little more of Ben Jurafsky didn't get in the movie. Ah, damn, James. You have to understand the way Chicago works. That's how I got this. We got this five-part discussion, four-part, whatever it is we're doing here on this series, was because we put you in the movie. <laughs> you know, that's not completely true. All right. 
<laughs> uh, <laughs> just sort of true. I have my favorite scenes. I don't want to give it too much. You know what? This whole thing about the uh, spoiler alert. Eh, forget that. Folks, yeah. just watch it. It's it, you know what happened. Lori Lightfoot wins the election. It's yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. So, uh, my two favorite scenes, and I want you to talk about them. I've already mentioned them in the reader article for different reasons. Uh, when I say favorite, it's not like I like what happened in them, but just right. the ones that stuck with me. Right. In fact, one of them I think gave me a nightmare. So <laughs> I woke up. This is really bizarre. If I could just share this with you as though you were my therapist. Um, I woke up at like four and five in the morning the other day. And I was thinking of the salon scene at Christy Hefner's apartment. Oh. And it really irritated me. I got to tell you, <laughs> really, the smugness and arrogance of these people sitting around a table in this penthouse and I, we've all been there, Steve. I've been in so many situations. I mean, I've never been in Christy Hefner's penthouse. Okay. But, you know, it's like well-to-do white people talking about the city, you know? Well, they've like was, read the was, tribute. A, in, in defense, it was a diverse group of people at the table. All right. There was a black woman at the table. There was two, two, two black folks at the table. All right. Um, Somehow or other, I just was focused on the the smugness of the white people. I've been in these conversations, Steve James. I know what they're like. Well, I read in the Tribune. Did you see that article in the Tribune? Or I heard on BEZ. Oh, it must be gospel if you heard it on BEZ. <laughs> Sorry, Steve. Yeah. Uh, so if, if only they yeah. said I heard it on the Ben Jurassic. God then, then damn it. Then it would be like, oh, <laughs> there's somebody who's in touch with the real people in the city of Chicago. <laughs> All right. So. What, what really got to me was this point when the, one of the speakers was talking about my beloved Harold Washington. Yeah. And I have a reverence for, in fact, I met you, Harold was mayor of the city of Chicago. That's a long right. known Steve James. And he was mayor of the city of Chicago. And when he became mayor, there was uh, an eruption of the city council, the white aldermen organized and we had council wars and they actually had something resembling democracy, Steve, where one side would have to negotiate with the other side and they would produce a compromise and budgets were passed Water ran when you turn on the tap. The buses ran, schools ran, everything ran. You know, but it's a little dissension, a little controversy in the city council, right? This banker goes, well, he, I just hope we, we don't have another situation like with Harold Washington. And then someone goes, why? And he goes, because it was chaos. And I was like, Steve, <laughs> that really irritated me. It wasn't chaos. Yeah. Well, black man is running things. It's chaos. Your no. thoughts on that scene? No, no. And, and no. And I, you know, um, it's interesting because I, I think that is a really important scene in the series because I think it's especially because the series spends a lot of time at the street level with people, you know what I mean? Um, and, and the more everyday Chicagoans, let's say, and what they think. And so it was great. And I, and, and I, I give huge thanks to Christy for helping, uh, letting us be a part of that. That was some, you know, those are these dinners that she would do from time to time. And she invited, you know, she allowed us in to, to see that. And, you know, there was diversity of opinion at that table about things, including Harold Washington. But the thing is, is that, no one ever, um, you know, someone pushes back on that in the meeting a little bit. It's actually Christy that's pushing back on it, where she's saying, was it chaos, the chaos, uh, you know, caused by Harold Washington or was it caused by the white alderman, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I, at certain different points, I would go back to the footage when we were editing it and try to find someone else who could kind of 
put him in his place <laughs> a little mm-hmm. bit. You know, you saw some some looks around the table, but that's the best I could pull out. And that's one of the, you know, that that's one of the differences is that what you hope as a documentary filmmaker in that situation is is that your audience is not taking at face value what this person is saying. That that we have set up the scene in such a way that even if you don't know Chicago's politics well enough to, to assess what he's saying, that you will listen with some skepticism. And, and so earlier in that scene, he's talking about how he doesn't want to hear from people except historians. And you know what I mean? He, he, those, he only wants to hear from, from the professional class opinions about politics. He doesn't, he's not interested in anybody else. So that was important to plant that earlier so that you have a sense of where he comes from. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? What 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 his point of view would be, and so that it maybe makes sense that he would say that about Harold Washington. Yeah, I, uh, it really stuck with me. I thought of it. I woke up as I said, and the fact that everybody was loving Rom around the table. Oh, I wish Rom would run again. I'm like, well, you guys, real representative of the city of Chicago, because nobody yeah. else wants him to run. Yeah, I was surprised at that too. I mean, I you know, I'm naive. I'm always naive in the films I make, but I was surprised at how how many people spoke up in in favor of Rom um, at the table because I wouldn't have expected all those people to, you know, some of them for sure, but not all of them. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, moving on from that scene, which gave me nightmares. uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Another scene that I thoroughly enjoyed, and this may speak more about my uh, peculiarities. Um, And interesting, when I set this up, some uh, film critics, like, not just me type film critics who love movies and talks about it, but people who've spent their life studying films, they, they were like, they, they didn't go for it so much. So this is the scene, obviously. Uh, I thought you did a great job uh, explaining how our insane system of making the ballot works, or really, which is set up to keep people off the ballot and protect incumbents. You really did a great job uh, doing that, Steve, without a narrator. And explaining without a narrator, there's no narrator in this movie. And so it, it culminates with these election challenges uh, where, where they're challenging the, sign- the veracity of a signature that a candidate uh, has collected. If you successfully challenge enough, he falls below the threshold required to make the ballot. He's kicked off the ballot. And this is great scene. Jamal Green and Ricky <laughs> Hendon. And I'm like, this is Steve freaking James. Somehow uh, this blessed life he's lived as a filmmaker. He's there that day. Ricky and Jamal almost come fisticuffs. And the big fella from the elector, uh, the board of elections, guy, fellas, break it up. Whoa. <laughs> Great freaking scene. I love it. And then some film critic, well, he spent a little too much time with the elections. Yeah, uh, but, 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 you know, here's the thing. Yeah. Plenty of critics love that part of it. Too. Is that right? I just happened to read the one who didn't. Yeah, I think you did. I mean, okay. there's, the, the, you're right. There are one or two that they, you know, in an otherwise glowing review. I <laughs> Wait a minute. Just, this is classic Steve James, by the way. We went from many loved it to, well, one or two. If we have this conversation a little more, hello, mother peeps. <laughs> But but no, I mean there were people that that the critics I think they got it for sure the way and, and appreciated the way you did. Well, the thing with that particular scene was, we knew that Ricky, you know, the day before, 
when we were there and, and filming at the board of elections and we filmed a lot at the board of elections, we could have made a whole film on the board of elections if, if we had chosen to. And some people, some people would have preferred that, I think, but, but certainly not everybody, <laughs> but we were there the day before at the board of elections when, when um, Ricky was there and he was, he was doing his challenge against Neil Salas Griffin. And when, and it's in the film when we, he stepped outside to talk to him. He said, yeah. And, and Jamal was there too, but he was getting his, he wasn't yet in the formal petition process. He was getting geared up for it. He was there. And so we stepped out in the hall and Ricky said to us, he goes, you know, I'm going to be doing the challenge against Jamal tomorrow. And you could tell it was not going to be pretty. Um, yeah. And and so we were like, okay, we're, we're <laughs> we'll be back tomorrow. <laughs> and so we, you know, we were there, and um, you know, it 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 kind of went down, and and it and and it was a very revealing moment. That whole board of election thing for me, I mean, I knew that the petition process, I had the barest understanding of how that was political and all that. I mean, I knew it was part of the process, but I had no clue. I was I was a complete idiot when it came to all of the all of the ins and outs of that process and, and the way in which it worked in the room like that, you know, the way people did it. And just the sheer Byzantine madness that you can literally sit there and many people do and and object to every single decision that the caller is making. Yeah. Uh, and then it means that somebody else is going to have to look at it. <laughs> yeah. it's no, it's, like, what are we doing here? You know? Yeah. It's utterly absurd. And I've come to Ricky's defense many times on this point. Uh, Ricky and I have our disagreements about politics, but on this point, my attitude is kind of cynical, but this is the system, right? You play the system. This, you play by these rules. These are the rules. He's playing by the rules. Yeah. Infuri it's infuriating. I would go nuts. I don't blame Jim All Green for being upset, but this is the system. And so yeah. it's so funny when Jim Allen, you quote, uh, who works for the Board of, uh, board of, yeah. board of Elections, uh, who's a great guy. Like, I mean, he's he straightforward, straight shooter. Yeah. But he's so upset because I don't want to give away too much, folks. But Ricky Hendon really does pull a fast one in this movie uh, with Neil, <laughs> which I, well, I don't want to give it away. It's because this is not like knowing that Lori Lightfoot won. This is like really no. inside baseball. And Jim is really irritated. He goes, this is not right. I'm like, this, this is what you're objecting to the whole freaking system. I felt like Al Pacino, the whole system's out of order. You ever see that movie, Steve James? No, that's way. Yeah. It's yeah. a 70s movie. Um, what, what's your take on the whole thing? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think it, it, you're right. It's, it's Ricky played the system. Um, he wasn't the only one. I mean, Preckwinkle was, they were all doing it. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, Ricky is just more flamboyant about it. You know, I mean, he, he, and he, and for a filmmaker, he's the best. Um, <laughs> because, you know, we live for Ricky Hollywood Hendon kind of guys. And, but yeah, it was, it's, it's baked into the system. I mean, the fact that these callers, have no power. They literally have no power. Um, to they, there's no restriction on the amount of challenges you can or objections you can make, whatever, in a given session. There's not, you know, and and literally, I mean, Jim explains it to us. Jim Allen explains it to us. It's like 
then it goes before handwriting expert. Yeah. And then if the and then it may go to actually bringing in the voter. Yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> to sign an affidavit yeah. saying yes, that is me. And you know, when you're in the room and you're watching this, you're looking at signatures that match perfectly. And the caller says, you know, that objection's overruled, and the person will go, uh, I, obj- I object. You know, even though it's, they, they both, I mean, that's why it was so great. There's that one moment early on where this guy is working on behalf of Daly uh, or challenging <laughs> Daly. Yeah, challenging him, yeah. He's challenging Daly, and he brings a, a little note that they gave him that says, Ob- object to every decision. Yeah. <laughs> um, Priceless. <laughs> and, oh. and say it nicely, you know, be courteous. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that's another Steve James moment that you were there for that. Um, I think I told you this, that I, I came away depressed from, yes. uh, I told you that. I t- Steve was so kind as to show me an early cut of the movie, which I can't remember how long ago it was, so long ago. And I go, well, it's a great movie, Steve, but I'm really depressed. Because from my perspective, Steve, I've spent so many years writing about Chicago politics, and I have an agenda. You know, and I I want Harold Washington to come back. Is that, gonna, <laughs> is that too much to ask? And uh, I just when I see how stacked the system is, against anybody who could would remotely change it and transform it. It's it, it, it gets a little depressing. And so the cumulative effect of watching just all these candidates like Neil Salas Griffin are good people who really want to change things, whether they have the capability to do it or not, they really want to do it getting stifled and smothered and undercut. And the, like the, just the way the civic Chicago, the attitude presented by, you know, that smug dude in that scene in the, in the penthouse, it's just disdain that drips from their voice about anybody who wants to change the system to help somebody who's down and out. And it just seems like we, and then the, the TIFF deal that goes through at the end. I mean, it's all coming together, Steve. I'm like, <laughs> I'm so depressed. This will never change. Uh, do you, you must have a more optimistic outlook uh, having made the movie. Am I right? Uh, well, maybe a little more optimistic, but it's because I'm more, I'm just more ignorant of, <laughs> of, of Chicago politics. So I, there's a little bit of maybe a small amount of bliss in my ignorance, but you know, I, I, I do think that when, you know, when you look at the first four episodes and you see Lori emerge, um, the way she does and come out of nowhere and, you know, make it to the runoff, and then she crushed Tony in the in the runoff. I think I at the time was thinking that she might be that kind of candidate um, at that time, right? Um, because she was running against the machine. Um, I I felt like she, you know, she had a, a real good touch with people. I'd seen her with people and and seen the way in which she could con- connect with people. Um, and, you know, and I thought she run an incredibly smart campaign that didn't have a lot of money, you know, um, what little I know about all this. But it, that's what it looked like to me. Um, and, you know, we, in episode five, you see that her tenure has been rocky, um, as anyone who pays attention to politics knows. And so that's made me more um, depressed. <laughs> I, I, I think there was a part of me that thought, well, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe she could be that person. I'm not saying she could be the equal of Harold Washington. You know, that's a, that's a high bar, yeah. but, but I thought, you know, maybe she might represent that kind of 
anti-machine, uh, you know, make real change, you know. And if she was sitting here on this show, she'd say that's exactly what I'm trying to do, right? Mm-hmm. She, she would say that. Um, but, you know, I think one of the things you real, I, I realize is just also how hard that is in this city um, in so many ways. And, and partly because of, you know, in her case of, of things she's done without question, and partly because of the just the apparatus of politics in this city. You know, this city takes way too much pride in the blood sport analogy. Someone makes that analogy in the series that it's a Chicago's a, politics is a blood sport. There's a lot of pride in that, you know, in this city about how hard politics is, about how rough and tumble it is. Mm-hmm. People take a lot of pride in that. And I think there's a fundamental problem with that. That, 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 you know, standing on that the way a lot of people do. I'm with you 100% on that. 100, 100%. I go on and on. But I'll just let your comments stay there. That's very well put. Way too much pride. And we then wonder why there's so much violence in this city. You know, yeah. it's just emanates from just our whole attitude toward each other. Oh, I know you want to run for mayor. Well, I'll keep you tied up at city hall for the next two weeks in this windowless room. See if you lose your mind. That'll teach you for wanting to run for mayor. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. I'm going to ask you a tough question. I'm, and Uh-oh. folks get Uh-oh. ready for Steve James to do Uh-oh. some ducking and dodge. And I'm going to really love this. Going to put his tap <laughs> shoes on and start dancing. <laughs> all right. So uh, you do not live in the city of Chicago. So you were not able to vote. Uh, in the election, uh, but having spent all that time watching all those candidates, which one would you, Steve James, have voted for in that first go around back in 2019? Go. And, and you're saying uh, with the benefit of hindsight now, looking back? Uh, well, no, I, I'm assuming like, what would you have done at that moment, at the time, in real time? I, I would have voted for Lori Lightfoot. Wow, he didn't even duck and dodge, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I would have voted for Lori because I felt like she had the combination of um, lived experience. She wasn't 23, you know. She 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 she'd held jobs where she dealt with power um, and and wielded some power, um, and you know her politics were progressive. Uh, of course, kind of everybody's more or less were except Willie's. Um, <laughs> And and she was running against the machine and I and she was scrappy. And, you know, so I think, yeah, I probably I would have voted for Lori. And uh, today, if you had if it's the benefit of hindsight. Well, today I look at it. I mean, I, I don't I don't I, I don't look at I can't think of anybody else in that field that I look back on and think, oh, God, that was that person would have been the best choice. I mean, I have tremendous admiration for Neil Salas Griffin in so many ways. He's one of the most amazing people I've ever met. I, I really believe that. Would he have been ready to be mayor of Chicago? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know about that. Um, same with Amara. You know, Amara had a lot of great qualities um, and brilliant in so many ways, but was she ready to be mayor of Chicago? Mm, I don't know. Did I want Willie? No. Did I want McCarthy? No. You know, there were people, Vallis, uh, you know, there was a lot of people that had things to offer. Would they have would they have been the right choice? I, you know, so even though 21 people originally threw their hat in the ring and 14 ended up on the ballot. I don't know. 
Now, now I'm really getting depressed, Ben. <laughs> I told you, man. If you think about it, it's depressing. Uh, I, I, I'm with you on Neil. In hindsight, I'm not just saying this because he's going to be my next guest in this series. Uh, I'd have voted for him, and I know he wouldn't. Have lo- he would have lost. You know, I have a lot of the. If I could again, using use my therapist, a lot of regretful uh, decisions when it comes to voting. I look back and I wish, like, I look at a candidate that got clobbered. I go, wish I voted for that guy. Yeah, he got clobbered, but the man had integrity, or she was really smart. You know what I mean? Uh, so, in hindsight, I've really come to respect Neil Salas Griffin a lot, and I yeah. think he's. And a lot of it has to do. I cannot accentuate this enough, folks. Epi- episode five, the epilogue. It's freaking fantastic. And if you're not in tears with the Neil Salas Griffith thing, then you have no heart. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> um, all right, uh, Steve. So let's close. Let's, 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 this will be an interesting uh, case study in tap dancing. I went on the record and named my five favorite Steve James movies. I've seen almost all. He's going to give me a hard time about the one I didn't see. Absolutely. Which I didn't even mention. Uh, and, um, so I put it on record, my five favorite and, uh, as much as I love, um, city so real, it makes the top five, uh, uh, but just barely. And it's not, it's five. <laughs> so that shows you how much I love the other movies. Uh, and number four is Life Itself, which I heard a very moving movie about Roger Ebert. I urge everybody to watch it. Uh, Abacus, uh, I forget the the part after the colon. Yeah, yeah, that was a mistake. Small. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a brilliant movie. It's really a, it's a movie about the feds overreach and prosecution, but it's really a movie about a really great family that someday if this pandemic ever passes, I'm going to go to New York City, introduce myself to them and go eat Chinese food with them. Um, and then what... I love this movie, folks. Go watch it. You can watch it on Netflix. Uh, it's it's a if you're not even if you're not a basketball fan, it's a documentary about Allen Iverson. It's very revealing about Steve James himself uh, in this movie. He's a big hoops fan. Uh, and then, of course, the masterpiece Hoop Dreams. That's my number one. All right, what are your top five? Go. You know, it's tough because there's just so many of them that I love. Now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's like, it's like, you know, it's like ranking your children a little bit, you know? Um, uh, I mean, cause I, I'm, I'm very fond of life itself. It was a very different kind of film for me to do. And so I, I have a lot of fondness for it, but I, um, and Abacus as well. That's, that was a different kind of film for me to do in some ways. It was a trial movie in a way. And so one of the things I've tried to do in my career is try different stuff, you know, do different stuff. But when I look at my I guess the ones that stick out as my favorite favorites, they tend to be of a certain ilk. And so number five on my list is the same as your city. So real. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, then I, my next up is interrupters, which you get no, I get no love from you. <laughs> it's so untrue. <laughs> <laughs> the interrupters, which I think you called the interpreters or. I yes, I did. <laughs> I don't know what to do. Um, that that film had a profound impact on me making it. Um, all these did really, um, but um, you know that's a film that people should be watching now, in my view, because of yeah. what's going on in Chicago. Um, 
And then third on my list is America to me, which, you know, Ben, <laughs> he just, he, <laughs> you know, I guess it's too long for him. He'd rather <laughs> go watch a Netflix um, crime drama. No, Sophia Loren. I'm obsessed with Sophia Loren. That's what I'm watching on Netflix right yeah. now. Sophia Loren. God. Yeah, you probably watched Tiger King, right? Did you watch? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I did watch Tiger so, King. So tell you who Ben Drasky is. He would rather watch Tiger King than watch a film about race and, and social equity and, <laughs> you know, Hey, that's okay. That's choices. Everybody has choices. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Then number two, yeah. surprise to you probably, Hoop Dreams is wow. number two. Um, wow. People would think that would be number one. I mean, obviously it's the most, you know, it's a film that gave me a career and, and, I, and I was just in touch with Arthur and William today um, about something. Um, it's, still, it's still with me. But for me, the number one film for me, and it's interesting because when I meet other filmmakers at film festivals, you would you'd be surprised at this. But a, a number of them have said, and it's true for me, too, that Stevie is their favorite film of mine. Um, you, Stevie's not even on your radar. Uh, that's um, so OK. You know, can I just just I have to say this right now. You know what it's like dealing with this guy? It's that old joke where you. Uh, you're, you give your uh, your mother gives you two ties for your birthday. <laughs> one's red, one's blue. You go, you know what? I'm going to show how much I love these ties. So you show up the next time you see her with the red tie. And she goes, what? You didn't like the blue one? That's what it's like with this guy. <laughs> what? I, 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 your favorite movie is Hoop Chase. What? Stevie's no good? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the reason Stevie is at the top of my list is because it, it is the most personal film I've made. Uh, the Iverson film has personal qualities to it. Absolutely. And, and I, you know, but Stevie is the most personal film I've made. It's also the most, it was the hardest film, uh, from a, from a emotional standpoint to make. Mm-hmm. Um, and, <clears throat> And I think all of my films are honest. I think none are more honest than Stevie. So. Yeah, you don't come off looking good in Stevie. I'll just leave it. I don't want to give yeah. spoiler alerts, yeah. but he doesn't come off looking so good. In, yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, where can folks watch Stevie? I'm not sure. Uh, uh, iTunes or something, maybe. I don't know. If you Google, you can find it. Right. You know, it's it was on Netflix for a while, and I started to get some letters and stuff. You know, it's funny of all the films I've done in terms of where, where strangers have sought me out through the internet, you know, like through Cartemquin or whatever and gotten to me with an email, Stevie, I get more emails about Stevie than any other thing I've made. Wow. And it's because the, the, it's because it's people writing me about people in their lives who have been really difficult for them, um, who they've struggled with, who they care about, but is they're destructive. You know what I mean? It's like, that's, that's the thing that hooks them about that film that makes them want, compels them to want to, you know, write me about it. Yeah. I get more about that than any other. I mean, if I'm out and about it's hoop dreams, you know what I mean? Because people have seen that Stevie, Stevie is, uh, you know, seen by just a few less people. 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a million less. Uh, but it's it, it, it's a powerful flick. I saw it. I haven't seen it in a while. Now you made me want to watch it again. Uh, so there you go. There you go. <laughs> but not until you watch the yeah, one about yeah, Oak Park. That's my boy, Ben. Get, get you know, America to me and Stevie. Let's just get those going. You know, I think I'll just never watch America to me. So like <laughs> Steve James and I will be in this old age home. Like, you never watched it. <laughs> that's my. You never did. Um, all right, Steve James. It was a blast talking to you. And great job with City So Real. Uh, next up on this series will be Neil Salas Griffin. And after that, I don't know who's next. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you Neil know, it's is, one of those. <laughs> Neil's amazing. Yeah. Neil's amazing. What what a guy. What a, what a treasure for the city of Chicago. And he's not done. I mean, you see that in episode five. He's he's all about change. Yes, he is. All right. Uh, and now I would close with this question, folks. Watch. This is going to be masterful. Avoiding the question. So, what's up next for Steve James? What's your next movie? <laughs> Uh, well, first of all, people should watch this on Hulu. Okay, thank you. I don't think we said that. <laughs> yes, we did. I was the we first did. thing you said. <laughs> okay, okay. It's available on Hulu. Um, my, uh, I'm doing a basketball film next, um, Ben, but I can't tell you what it is, even though you know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> so it I can't must, wait for this one, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it, it must remain a secret. And yes. I'm also doing a film... Um, I'm also something very different for me and for, very different from the basketball film. I'm doing a film about uh, a woman who's 91 years old who lives in Cambridge, England. She's from Chicago. Um, she married this guy named Ted Hall. Her name's Joan. She married this guy named Ted Hall when he was at the University of Chicago and she was at the University of Chicago. He was this brilliant guy, a physicist, and he had been at Los Alamos mm-hmm. and um, as part of the whole building of the bomb during World War II. And he, uh, at a certain point, he decided because of his conscience that he worried that the United States would preemptively bomb the Soviet Union after World War II with the atomic bomb. And so he took it on himself to start passing secrets to the to the Soviets to help them get the bomb sooner so that we could have mutually assured destruction. And it's kind of a remarkable story. And Joan, his who survives him, his wife, is this really remarkable woman. Um, it's incredible. You'll like this film, I think. Uh, I well, I have a. I didn't know you were doing this. This is the breaking news in the Ben Jarofsky show. I have a <laughs> mini obsession that I don't really share with a lot of people. That I love spy, uh, particularly uh, uh, espionage stories dealing um, in World War Two. Oh and, well, uh, this is totally up your alley. Yeah, totally. I mean, the the beauty of this is it's like that show. In a way, it's it's a love story. These two the, these two were so in love with each other, and she. She helped him keep this a secret for their lives while they raised a family. So it's a little bit like that show, The Americans, in the sense that, mm-hmm. you know, but not they're not they weren't spies. They weren't you know, he did this. He was like Ed, Edward Snowden. He mm-hmm. saw what was going on and he decided he needed to do something about it. Um, but one of the things you'll you know, one of the things you'll appreciate is that at a certain point after he left Los Alamos, he uh, he told he said, I'm done. 
He didn't want to do it anymore because he'd done what he'd done. And the Soviet agents that he was dealing with were like, no, we'd like you to keep, you know, <laughs> keep doing this. Yeah. So what, what would happen in the TV or movie version of that? They, he says, no, I'm not going to do it anymore. What happens? He gets killed, right? Yeah. What really happened is they said, okay, well, thank you very much for what you did. And they left him alone for the rest of his life. <laughs> wow. I'm really, I'm going to look into this. Uh, actually, it depends when you say if, if it was a fictitious movie, uh, it would, he would go on the run and it would become yes. a chase movie. And that, yeah. uh, yeah. and depending how cynical the director was, or he would either die or like escape to some Caribbean island where he yeah. could live for the rest of his life. Yeah. Like Shawshank Redemption, you know, type of ending. Here they shook his hand and they said, thank you for what you did. Well, they give him a bonus or anything? You know, like, I don't know. Like a Stalin medal or something? That's it? Uh, all right, Steve James, it's a blast talking to you. It always is. And uh, I'll think of some excuse to bring you back on the show, uh, maybe to get you part of our conversation about uh, the NBA and how the Bulls did in the draft. But Steve James still a basketball fan, as you He's making a basketball movie coming up. Yeah, or after you watch American to Me, we can come back. We could, <laughs> we could, we could do a ten-parter on the American to Me. That would be great. Okay, I, I could, I could. Do, what if I love American to Me? Just think about that. Oh my God, it's the greatest movie. I can't believe I didn't see this earlier. And then I, you're right. I, I think you're, it's a, it's up your alley, my friend. Well, uh, all right. You know what? Uh, I promised to watch American. I think I made that promise the last time we were on the yeah, show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm failing on my promises to you. I will definitely watch the next two, the the Ted Hall movie and the secret mystery uh, basketball movie, which I'm really looking forward to. That's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, Steve, Steve James, thank you very much. I hope everybody watches City So Real. Really important movie. Give you a glimpse of what Chicago uh, is like in our insane political system. Thanks a lot, Steve, for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you, Ben. It was a real pleasure. That's the great Steve James. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everyone.